Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Many happy returns to you all. Uh, this past week was Jonah's fast, and this coming week is the last week uh, before we begin uh, the Great Lent. So Great Lent will begin not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow to following Monday. Uh, we read today in the psalm preceding the Gospel, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength are be- and beauty are in His sanctuary. And this psalm emphasizes to us our role and the importance of our role in honoring the Lord. So we'll contemplate together how we can honor the Lord through four means. By obeying His commandments, by respecting His house, by revering His sacrifice, and finally by serving His children. In the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 21, we read this uh, parable that the Lord gives. But what do you think? A man had two sons And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. And the passage continues and says, For John came to you, in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So we see here, through this example, that honoring the Lord and obeying his commandments is not about lip service. It's not about what we say, but it's about walking the walk, not just talking the talk. It's about where the rubber meets the road. They actually act and behave and do what's pleasing to my Father? Or do I talk about the commandments of the Lord and I talk a good talk, but when it comes time to actually patterning my life, I can't be bothered to pattern my life according to the way that the Lord instructs me. So what do I use as the standard for what I aspire to? Do I look at God's commandments and say, I aspire to live my life according to this pattern Or do I look at at everyone else in the world and say, I want to be like everybody else. I want to do what everybody else does. I want to live how everybody else lives. I want to behave how everybody else behaves. I want to go to the places that everyone else goes. I want to value the things that everyone else values. Do I spend my time looking at the latest influencers on on TikTok and Instagram and, and all these pictures of the latest fashions and the latest places that they're going and the latest things that they're eating and the latest things that they're driving and the latest things that they're buying and what's the latest makeup trend and what's the latest game that's out there and what's the latest, all of these viral trends that go on. This is how I pattern my life? Or do I look at the commandment of God and say, this is what I ought to be doing. This is what I ought to be seeking. This is what I ought to be desiring to do. It's not just about knowing the commandment of God. Actually, both of the sons knew the commandment of God. And initially, one of them said, you know, I'm not going to do this. But when he evaluated himself, he said, no, I should honor my father 
by doing what's pleasing to my Father. But the passage also gives us some hope that, okay, maybe we've rejected like the first son. We said, you know, I'm not going to do this. But when we come to ourselves, we still have an opportunity to say, you know, no, what my Father commands is right. And even if I'm not convinced, but because I honor my Father and because I love my Father, I'm going to obey His commandments. And beyond that, Christ continues and tells the Pharisees that He was reprimanding. Even when you saw the tax collectors and harlots accepting the preaching of repentance of John, you still did not come to yourselves in turn. So we have many opportunities to come to ourselves and say, you know what, I'm not going to be affiliated with this world, but I'm going to do and obey the commandments of my Father. We can honor the Lord also by respecting His house. We read in John chapter 2, which we read on Jonah's feast, and he, found them in the temp- and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So what we see here is Christ telling the people who were buying and selling and and converting money in the temple, don't make the place of spiritual investment a place of worldly investment. The house of God is somewhere different. It has its honor. It's holy. And as we've said before, the word holy means that it's set aside for a purpose. It's set aside for the purpose of worshiping God. It's not common like every other place. The house of God is a place where we come to make spiritual investments. But the money changers and those that were buying and selling took the place where they ought to have been making spiritual investments and they turned it into a marketplace, a place where they were making worldly investments. So also we do sometimes. You're going to tell me, I wonder, but we don't come and we don't buy and sell and we're not trading and we're not, we're not converting money or doing anything. But let's evaluate ourselves when we're in the house of God. And where is our mind working? Where are we investing our energy and our time and our concentration when we're in the house of the Lord? Are we spending our time and our energy and our concentration planning the rest of our day, planning the rest of our week, thinking about the stock market, thinking about the next task that I ought to do at work, thinking about what I need to do to get ahead in my job? Maybe there's a promotion opportunity and I'm sitting in church thinking about what's the next strategic move that I need to make in order to make myself a viable candidate for this promotion? Am I thinking about my exams and my classes and what do I need to do to be at the top of my class and what do I need to do to uh, impress my, my professors? Am I thinking about my next investment opportunity? Is Bitcoin going up? Is it Bitcoin going down? Is the market going up? Is the market going down? Is it the right time to sell stock and buy gold because it's more stable? Is this what I'm occupying my mind with? Am I investing my time and my energy and my effort in, in worldly investments? Or is my heart and my mind and my attention focused on the sacrament that's being offered? Am I looking at the fact that Christ descended from the glory of heaven and entered into our world and offered Himself on the cross and He's offering me His body and His blood on the altar and saying, come, Eat this. Forget about the cares 
of the world and spend some time with me here in my house, which is the symbol of my presence among you, the place where heaven and earth meet. And for a moment, take out of your mind the worldly things, the earthly things, and think about what it's going to be like in heaven. Think about what it means that the angels stand continuously before me, praising and worshiping. Thinking, think about the images of heaven that you see in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Revelation, where people saw heaven open in front of their eyes. And imagine that this is where you're going. And spend just a few moments out of your week ignoring what's outside of these walls and focusing on heaven and investing your time and your energy there. This is how we can honor the Lord, by respecting His house and respecting the sacraments that are performed and offered in His house. We can honor the Lord also by revering His sacrifice. When you fly into San Antonio, you hear these like recorded announcements in the airport right, from the mayor. And, and one of the things he says is, Welcome to Military City, USA. Right? We have a big military presence here. And so, like veterans are, are very visible in our community. And actually, in American society, we honor the servicemen and veterans. We have Veterans Day. We have Memorial Day. In the U.S. and elsewhere, right, there's the, the monument to the unknown soldier. Right? This is common not only in the U.S., but in many other countries. We honor those people. Why? Because, as we say, they made the ultimate sacrifice, right? They, they gave up their lives in order to protect and defend our freedoms. Well, what about Christ? And Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. Like He descended from heaven, He came to the earth, and He died not to defend our freedom from a worldly enemy who can only have power over us for a time, temporally, but from an eternal enemy, a spiritual enemy, who was oppressing us and would continue to oppress us for eternity and would take our freedom from us for eternity. And so, should we not also honor the sacrifice that He made for us and consider this as something deserving of our reverence? We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, St. Paul tells them, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The message of the cross without the understanding of what was achieved through the cross is very confusing. It doesn't make any sense. Why do you worship this man who was punished as a criminal and, and slaughtered in the most humiliating way? But when we realize that this was the sacrifice that he made to free us from the oppressor, all of a sudden it makes sense. And we recognize that no, we ought to honor the Lord by showing reverence to the sacrifice that he made. This ties in then to the next point. Oftentimes, when somebody makes such a big sacrifice or somebody is fighting for a cause 
and they, they die either fighting for that cause or they die prematurely, we find out that like foundations are established and, 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 and trusts are built. And in universities, they make like these memorial scholarships to remember the effort and commemorate the memory of the person who was fighting for this cause. And so in order to honor their legacy, we establish these foundations and these institutions and we make scholarships and we, we do fundraising to honor the memory of the one who departed by continuing to pursue and fight for the cause that they fought for and that they loved. So what is the cause that was dear to Christ that he died for? It's our salvation and the salvation of everyone. And so if we want to honor the Lord, as we honor those that depart from this world, we ought to continue to try and strive to achieve the legacy that he came to establish, which is we ought to be fighting for the salvation, not only of our own salvation, but the salvation of all of God's children. In Matthew chapter 25, we read, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Serving God's children is serving Him directly. Bringing His message to the downtrodden, those that are, that are missing Him, is something that we do to honor Him and to honor His memory and to honor His legacy. We also see in 2 Timothy, I thank God when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded also is, is in you also. So we see from this passage that the right and upright faith is transmitted generally, generationally. So in addition to serving God's people, we honor God by transmitting the faith faithfully from the generation before us from whom we received the faith to the generation after us to whom we're accountable to transmit the faith. The faith that we received is a trust. God gave it to us and we received it from the church. And we owe a debt of gratitude to God and to His church that He gave us this faith and that those before us labored and emptied themselves so that we could receive the faith in its fullness. Those fathers, the patriarchs, the, the, the bishops, the clergy that came before us, the Sunday school servants, the parents, the, the older generation that sacrificed so much entirely worked to implant us in the church so that we could receive the faith and know God and have a relationship with Him, do we not owe them and do we not owe God to, transmate, to, to, to transmit as faithfully this faith to the next generation to build the posterity so that they can have life as we received life from the generation before us? This is the way that we honor the Lord, that we take the faith that we received from our fathers and transmit it faithfully to our children and not just our children in the flesh, because those that served us were not only our, our bodily parents, our fleshly parents, but we were served by so many that were related to us and that were not related to us. And so we owe also and we ought also to serve as many as we can to transmit faithfully the faith that we received. So to recap, we ought to honor the Lord. And we can do this by obeying His commandments not just by word, but in action. And even it's more important to obey the commandment by action than by word. We should respect His house as the place where heaven and earth meet and the place 
where we have an opportunity to exclude everything else and focus on him. We revere the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, that he died for our freedom. And so we honor that he died for our freedom and we respect the sacrifice that he made. And we demonstrate this by serving his children and transmitting the faith that we received from the generation before us, before us as a faithful trust that transmit to the generation after us. May God grant us all the strength to honor him in all that we do, and glory be to our God forever. Amen. May, uh... This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart, and we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Many happy returns to you all. It's the first Sunday of Eastertide of the Pentecost season. We read something interesting in the psalm of the liturgy gospel this morning, just now. And I think it's a good reminder for this season. That is specifically, we read, The Lord is my strength and song, and He's become to me a salvation. Now this piece of it I think sounds familiar because it wasn't that many weeks ago that we were adding this to the uh, Paschal praise, so now when we look at it, next year you can remember where this verse comes from. It's from Psalm 118, but the psalm continues and says, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. That's what this season is about. Rejoicing and salvation has come to all of us and is in all of our homes and in all of our hearts. And I think sometimes we lose sight of this in this season. Like we do the resurrection procession and beforehand we say all you heavenly orders, right? And we say Christ is risen and, and the tunes are so joyful and upbeat and our voices are all rejoicing and our faces are so sullen and bored and, and expressionless. Like if somebody, if we were to mute the live stream, somebody saw our faces, they'd wonder what's going on. Or if we turned off the image and just heard the voice, like these two things don't go together. These faces that are so sad and emotionless are not the same ones with the voices that are coming out of the tents of the righteous, full of rejoicing and salvation, saying, oh, you heavenly orders and Christ is risen and all of this joyful message. So we'll contemplate together a little bit. One about the causes for rejoicing. We'll look at the fickleness of the world, and maybe that's what has us down. And then we'll look at our response, and specifically at tradition and love. So what are some of the causes of rejoicing? We read in the Gospel today that the light is with us. Christ Himself said, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in Me should not abide in darkness, and he told us to walk while we have the light. On this, St. John Chrysostom contemplates, because in the context we can understand, and, and not incorrectly, that Christ is talking about the time before the cross, that he is the light of the world, and he is with, at the time he was with the disciples, and there was a time coming when he would be lifted up and taken away from them, and it would be kind of a darker period for them, although it's the work of salvation. And so John, St. John Chrysostom 
contemplates and he says, is he speaking of the whole present life or of the time before the cross? And then he continues to say, I think both, for because of his ineffable love of humankind, many, even after the cross, believed. He speaks these things to press them on to the faith. So, St. John Chrysostom interprets that this passage applies to the era or the period of time while Christ was on earth before the cross, but also during this whole era. We're in the era of light now. The light of God is with us. Before the manifestation of God among His people, the people were living in darkness. That's why during Lent when we read the prophecies, we turn off the lights because we didn't see clearly before the coming of Christ, so the prophecies that were spoken were not understood, and we didn't see clearly with our eyes. But when Christ came, He illuminated our eyes. So we dwell in light, we abide in light. This is the voice of rejoicing and salvation that comes out of the tents of the righteous. We rejoice also because we're saved and not condemned. Christ continued to say, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There was a time before the coming of Christ where everyone who departed, no matter how righteous they were, no matter how adherent they were to the law, no matter how good they were, no matter how much they loved God, were bound to go to Hades. Christ came now to give us freedom from Hades, to give us salvation, to save us from the bond of sin, and to give us not a temporary respite from punishment, but to give us a pathway and an opportunity for eternal salvation, something that's lasting. Yet he, he reminds us that the time of judgment is coming. But now we live between the darkness of the Old Testament when nobody had access to paradise and to God in the way we have access now, and before the time of judgment, which means, yes, we'll make mistakes, but there's an opportunity for repentance because the coming for judgment has not yet happened. And so until we're judged, we have an opportunity to flee to God and say, we find refuge in you. We look for salvation in you. We look for our goodness in you. Our hope is in you. Our light is in you. Our salvation is in you. So the time of judgment has not yet come, but the era of darkness has passed. Is this not a reason for joy? Is this not why we lift up our voices and say Christ is risen from the dead, Christos Anesti? This is the voice of rejoicing and salvation that comes out of the tents of the righteous. St. Paul tells us also in 2 Thessalonians, which we read today in the Pauline epistle, that we're chosen for salvation. He says, God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Yesterday's Pauline epistle was from Ephesians and it used that hot-button word to convey the same message, that word that we kind of cringe from or try to shy away from, predestined, right? That's like a hot-button word in our minds. What does it mean that God is predestining people? What does it mean that He's chosen us for salvation, right? Does that mean that He's chosen some people for salvation and others for condemnation? My beloved, that's not what it means. It's not, like an un, uh, un, it's not unlike a parent and it's exam time now, so I imagine that this dialogue happens in our homes pretty regularly. It's not unlike a parent that says to their children, make sure you study so you do well on your exam. Or if you don't study, you're likely going to fail. Right? It's not that the parent is, is choosing the path for the child, but the parent is telling the child the end of the path that they choose. 
So Christ has predestined a way for salvation. And He has predestined a way for condemnation. There's a way that leads to life. There's a path that leads to salvation. And there's a path that leads to condemnation and death. When we choose a path and persist in a path, we're predestined for salvation. We're chosen for salvation on the basis of the path that we chose. Similarly, if we choose a particular path that leads to condemnation and we insist to persist on the path that leads to condemnation, we're predestined for condemnation. If we stay on this road, the end of it is death. If we stay on this road, the end of it is life. Through what? Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Sanctification in the Spirit and baptism and chrismation. When we enter into the baptismal font, we take off the old man. We're reborn a new man. We die and we rise with Christ, according to Romans 6. And we're consecrated with the Holy Mayrun and by the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit and we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit at the beginning of our journey with Christ. Also, this sanctification is renewed when we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. In a moment, in under an hour, we'll say, the holies are for the holy. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. The sanctification is by the Holy Spirit. What do we mean? The holy things that are presented on the altar, the body and blood of Christ, are for those people who are holy and approaching to take them. How do we become holy? What makes us holy or sanctified? What makes the gifts and what makes us sanctified is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends upon the gifts and sanctifies them and turns regular bread and the mixed cup of wine and water into the body and blood of Christ. How? What does this look like? We don't know. It's a mystery. Also, the Holy Spirit works in us to sanctify us. Because what, mortal, what mere mortal people could approach to partake of the life-giving body and blood of Christ and say that I am holy and worthy in and of my own righteousness because of myself, I can come and partake of the body and blood of Christ. My beloved, this is not the case. We are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So this sanctification happens. We continue then also in the sanctification through the belief in the truth. It's not a one and done thing. We are sanctified, yes, but we persist and we believe in the truth and we continue in the upright faith and this is the path that leads us to sanctification. We contrast this then with the fickleness of the world. We read in the proxies about Paul and Silas when they went to Lystra and they healed this man who was not able to walk. And the response of the people. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they continued and they called Silas Zeus and they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief order. He was the speaker. Hermes is the messenger of, God, of the gods, as you know, from your Greek mythology classes in school, right? So not only did they determine that the gods had come down, they knew who they were. They knew, yeah, this one is Zeus and this one is Hermes. They, 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 not Hephaestus, not Dionysus, not anyone. No, they knew exactly which ones were there. They could identify them clearly. And they were getting ready to sacrifice bulls and animals to them. This is how convicted they were that these men are gods. St. Paul and, and, and St. Silas were like tearing their clothes and like pulling out their hair, convincing these people, we're mere men like you. Actually, the reason we're here is, is to abolish all of this 
that you guys are thinking now. The one who raised this man up is Christ who rose from the dead, the living God. And with this, it says, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing them. Like they were just like barely able to restrain the people from sacrificing them. This is how excited and zealous the people were, how convinced they were that the gods came down from Olympus into their city. And we read just a few verses later. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. This is Hermes. Like Three verses ago, you were ready to sacrifice a bull to him. You said the gods came down from Olympus. You stoned him and left him for dead. They dragged him out of the city and left him, supposing him to be dead. This is the fickleness of the world, my beloved. This is the fickleness of the world. There's no pleasing the world. The thing that I do today that gets me accolades and causes the people to praise and say how good I am and how wonderful I am tomorrow, the same people with the same voices will be talking about how I'm the worst thing that happened and how can I be this and how can people associate with this. We see just a few weeks ago, Palm Sunday, Christ enters into Jerusalem, the people lift up their voices, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is you comes in the name of the Lord. The same people, not a week later, were standing in front of Pontius Pilate saying, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. His blood is on us and our children. This is the fickleness of, my, of, of the world, my beloved. We cannot find persistent joy and rejoicing and peace and comfort if we chase after trends and fads and what's popular. If we do this, we'll always be chasing a moving target. Trends, styles, opinions, attention-seeking, all of this is fickle and changing and temporary. I want you to think about from 10 years ago, so it's 2023 now, think about back in 2013. Who was famous? Who was in the news? Who was everybody talking about, right? The last couple days, it's been like the coronation and the royal family, right? That's exciting. Think about 10 years ago, what were people talking about? What was popular? What was famous? We can't even remember. 10 years ago, what everybody was talking, what was the buzz, what was everything stirring about. Beloved, in a system where truth doesn't even have permanence, when the truth itself is something changing, when the truth is something relative, according to whoever wants to accept whatever truth, according to what time, according to what era, if truth itself, my beloved, in our society, has no staying power, has no permanence, then we cannot attach any permanent value to anything we will always be chasing moving targets. Further, in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 12, verses 42 to 43, we read, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. My beloved, this is the end of the fickleness of the world. I might be convic convicted as to what is right, but because I want to satisfy the world, I want to satisfy people, I want to follow what's trendy, I want to get more likes, I will restrain my belief. I won't proclaim my belief. I'll keep things quiet to placate the opinion of the world. Why? Because I'm looking for the opinion of men and the praise of men rather than the praise of God. But when I commit to truth, then I'll find that the voice of rejoicing and salvation will come out of the tents of the righteous. And finally, my beloved, we look at all of this and say, then what is our response in such a situation? Our response, we look then at the tradition and at love. 
in 2 Thessalonians, St. Paul continued and said, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and give us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So if we're chosen for salvation, for those that abide by the truth, then we have to persist in the way of truth, to live according to the tradition. And St. Paul continues here and says, which you received by word and our epistle. That is the spoken tradition handed down from generation to generation through the life of the church and what we receive in written form in the Scripture. So one thing we have to do is persist in the tradition. And then we see also that God loved us. He gave us an everlasting consolation and a good hope as a result of His love. And through His love, He comforts our hearts. We continue then in the Catholic epistle and we read, if we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. So the expression of God's love to us is our love to God and our love to the brethren. Because He first loved us, we love Him. And because we love Him, we love our brothers and sisters who are formed in His image. So our response, the way we see that the voice of rejoicing and salvation comes out of the tents of the righteous is when we persist in the tradition, the teaching that God gave us and handed down to us through the generations, through the church, and when we persist in loving one another above petty conflicts and disputes and divisive arguments and problems. So to recap, my beloved, we live in light. We're uncondemned and we're on the path of salvation. And as a result, the voice of joy and rejoicing is out of the tents of the righteous. We're freed from the changing impulses of the world that are fickle, that today something is popular, tomorrow it's unpopular. We maintain and we persist in the way of salvation and love both towards God and towards others. And this is the manifestation of our persistence and continuation on the way of salvation. May God give all of us to persist in the way of salvation through His life-giving body and blood. And glory be to our God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.